Hey ladies, welcome to the Diamond Hands podcast. So you want to own a med spa? Welcome to our community and explore the exciting industry of medical aesthetics and hear from experienced med spa owners and relevant industry experts to guide you on your path. Mindset, money, practice management, marketing, find it here. Tiffany Hall. She is the Chief Growth Officer from Aesthetic Records at EMR. Thank you. Hi, Tiffany. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. I've been watching all your episodes and hearing all your awesome advice. I'm glad that I actually get to be here with you. I feel very, very special. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so blessed. It's like, you know, I talk to, you know, I talk to my clients sometimes and some of the newer ones are like, oh, who should I go with? And guys, again, if you even listen to her podcast, this is not an advertisement. But oh my God. It's the way to go because so many of my other friends and clients that do, um, you know, have their med spas, they use aesthetic records. So, <laughs> well, and nobody's perfect. We all have our our bag of good and bad, but on exactly. the aggregate, I think that we're doing a lot of very positive things. At least, fingers crossed. I hope so. Yeah, you know, almost just like men, right? I mean, you have the good, you have the bad, and you have to choose how much bad you want to keep. But overall, they're good. Yeah, I just said this morning to a guy on an email, let's think about all this in context. You know, <laughs> the world is not ending chicken little. We're not all going to die here. One little button is not working, but everything else in your practice is. So take a chill pill and get your blood pressure down. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's why they have the tech department. They'll fix it. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you know, um, I, I know we see you everywhere and you've been in the aesthetics industry for quite some time. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, you know, tell us about, just even tell us about maybe something that people don't know about you per se, um, from your background. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you came to get your MBA and your PhD and some of the things that influenced your life decisions to be so high performing. Well, there are so many, you know, I think about that all the time, those critical decision points where you're like, this could go really great or really, really bad. Yeah. I think lots of those. But I think you mentioned my MBA, and I think that's a really interesting story for me because my mother passed away when I was 22, 23. Mm. I got to college. I was a very smart kid, valedictorian, scholarship, the whole thing. And so you go to college thinking, I'm this genius. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be, you know, Bill Gates on year four when I graduate, go out and get an amazing job. Yeah. Well, newsflash, guys, that's not reality. So I went to work, learned a lot about management, worked for enterprise, washed cars, did the whole thing. Then my wow. mom passed away. And I thought, you know, I've got to move home. I have a sister. She has kids. Her husband was in Iraq. I've got to be in Arkansas again to help support my family. So mm -hmm. I went home and I was bored to death. And I thought, you know, I'll go back to school. Why not do it? Go get an MBA. It'll be fun. And I ended up working at a college as a grad assistant. And I got to teach a lot. And I fell in love with teaching. So I finished my MBA, which was an amazing experience. If you're listening, go do it. Invest the time. Yeah. It's so worth it. But I fell in love with teaching and learning. And so I was going to be a financier. I was going to go into banking and finance. My degree mm -hmm. is in that. But I took one class in college about organizational development in my MBA, about leadership and about people being a human asset, human capital. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm done. This is it. So wow. I finished my MBA and went to get a PhD in that topic immediately. And I've focused really on that ever since. So all the jobs I've had have been about people development, mm -hmm. better in your career, how to motivate them to be more satisfied in their job, processes, mm -hmm. SOPs, really thinking about people on your balance sheet as an asset. Yeah. So I've bulk of my professional life doing that. And I kind of ended up in aesthetics by accident. <laughs> we owned a CrossFit gym when I was mm -hmm. married, a different podcast entirely. Well, we both been there. <laughs> Thank God that's over. But when I was married, uh, we owned a CrossFit gym and a person walked in my gym one day and said, hey, I work for this company that does Botox kind of things, filler kind of things. And they need a sales rep in Arkansas. And you look like you kind of are into that. And I was in pharma at the time, which you mm -hmm. want to put in an application. So I applied for Galderma. And in four days, I had had an interview, flew to Dallas, had a second interview and got hired. <laughs> so what? those four days, that chance noted him saying, hey, Nestle just bought us. We have an opening. Do you want to try for this job? Landed me here seven years later. So it was divine intervention, and I was a sales rep in Little O, Arkansas, wow. middle of nowhere, and grew a territory and had such a love for training that I got really involved in the training part of it. 
And that's when kind of the professional relations and gay and all those things really took off. And mm -hmm. it's been history ever since. So that's how I landed here. But, you know, in the course of it, I've met some incredible people, yeah. doctors, nurses, PAs, office staff, administrators, like this industry has consumed my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I'm incredibly grateful for it. And I think it's growing and evolving so fast that you and I both are kind of just buckling up and holding on to the right. It's like a roller coaster at Six Flags, like what's going to happen next? And so I yeah. think, you know, if you want to be in a fast moving, crazy world, go into technology and aesthetics. Yeah. I've got a double whammy on my plate right now. But it's I know. Yeah, because you're, you're all about, you know, um, the, the, the technology and, 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 and with that, you know, you were named even, you know, the, the top 25 woman in tech. Like, you know, tell us more about that and, and how that came about and how your love of tech really grew over time. Like, you know, MBA, PhD, random foray into aesthetics, and then suddenly my woman in tech, tell us. Well, you know, I pushed back on getting an iPhone for like 10 years. I had a Blackberry until they made me get an iPhone. So the fact that I'm here is kind of shocking, but... When I was with Galderma, well, actually before Galderma, I had built some apps, I'd worked in technology, I'd built a learning platform on a phone, like micro learning. I had done some very technology enabled things as a consultant. I worked for Walmart as a consultant for many years. And so I was really into technology anyway. Um, but as I went into the Galderma role, I realized that there was this huge gap, you know, training, you can't scale a human, you can't even scale 300 faculty members. There's just, you know, there's 30,000 accounts in aesthetics. There's probably 500 really good trainers in the whole industry. And so you do the math, it's just not possible. And I think the same is with technology for software and practice. You can't be everywhere all the time. And so for me, technology was a necessity. It's not because I love technology, which I do now, but it's because to scale and to grow and to build the scope of a practice or your job or your career, you have to duplicate your efforts in a way that is clonable, you know, scalable, yeah. replicatable. And so the only method we have is technology. So I really invested in that early on with Galderma. Mm -hmm. to see how to scale that. We had built Lucy Live, which is now Gia. We had done a lot of things with our process on signing up for trainings and mm -hmm. you know, ROI. And so it really just became part of my everyday job, almost inadvertently, and wow. a little bitty bit over time that when this came open, it was like, we need a person who can do aesthetics, who can do technology, who can do marketing, who can be on camera, who can do you know, financing and look at our balance sheet. Hey, yeah. Tiffany, you can do all these things. How about you, how about you take over? <laughs> And so when I started here, we had, we launched a conference, like the first month I was employed at Aesthetic Record. Oh, wow. Um, I did on the back end, behind the scenes, like a maniac. Um, wow. I think when I started, we had about 350 really active accounts, about 900 signed up. Now we have about 3,000. So we have a lot oh of in our software and the pressure is immense, as you, as you might assume. <laughs> yeah. But I think technology and your, look at your job, you know, when it comes to risk and numbers and money. To be able to look at something and quickly query an answer and know if you're losing or winning this month, where your yeah. is at, if things are walking out of the door, if your folks are performing, if there's an intent to turn over, you can look at that by their satisfaction scores, their inventory usage. I can mm -hmm. predict if you're going to quit your job based on oh how you're performing. Like there's all the things that technology gives us because it's like AI. It's smarter than we are. You know, you can think yeah. about cancer diagnosis. AI can look at charts and say, yep, she's going to have cancer in two years. We can't do that as humans. We're too biased in our perspective. And so yeah. I think technology gives you the, the answer to so many of, of life's great mysteries, Leslie. Of life's great <laughs> that's my perspective for sure. And I, but I think that's, that's what you talked about there. I mean, you know, you talked about the, you know, when you're building a business and you need to be able to scale, you have to use technology. Because like you said, we can be the smartest people as much as we want, but we can't just say, hey, I'm going to superimpose my thinking process, my thought process on all these other people, and they're just going to fall too. No, like you said, that's why technology is so important in, in, in business, so we can track trends, see what's happening, and then we can do something about it. And the workloads, my goodness, I think about when I was in high school doing papers, like even word processing, when I was, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, it was just coming out. Yeah. And you would think about even spell check. I mean, think about how much better our lives are today because of spell check and grammar mm -hmm. check. Yeah. We'd all be looking like a bunch of idiots out there. We didn't have <laughs> spell check telling us how to spell encourage correctly or celebrate correctly. Exactly. But, you know, it's the small things that we take for granted. My eye watch, you know, when a crisis occurs, I know it's happening. But mm -hmm. it's we, we think about workload, especially in our industry in aesthetics. These nurses and doctors are working so hard. They're owning a business. They're injecting patients. They're dealing with follow-up. They're doing SEO. They're doing Instagram. They're doing mm -hmm. 9 million things a minute. 
And if technology can take even one of those tasks and automate it and reduce it by a minute or two minutes times 15 tasks times three weeks times six mm -hmm. weeks, they've saved tens, twenties, hundreds of hours because of a simple app on their phone or exactly. a simple word processing feature or a calculator that's inside of an app to do their Discord conversion. Yeah. to us, but they're massive working in the business all day long. Definitely. And, and, I, and I love that you're kind of on the pulse of that. And, you know, so a question that I kind of have for you, because aesthetic record has been around, and you can tell the audience for how long has that aesthetic record been around? It's really been public, if you want to say that. We've, we came out of the closet about 2019, but we've been up and running since 2016-ish. Yeah. We had, yeah. you know, the beginning was a, was a frail state, but since 2019, full throttle. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's growing pains in every business, and I, and I think that is such a, uh, a wonderful thing that you get to experience with the industry, because, you know, there's a lot of new people coming into the industry now, and, you know, the, you call them the freshmen, restaurant owners that are coming in, and, you know, it's a new newer generation, and, you know, there's they need different things, you know, a restaurant owner that's been operating for 20 years has you know different needs than someone that is opened up within the past three years because the mentality is different the way they acquire their clients are different you know i've even seen you know mess owners that don't have a huge following on instagram but they are booked and busy and staff and everything but someone will be like oh they don't have a pop in instagram so they must not be it you're like you do not see their balance sheet <laughs> no, that's so true well, I think online booking is a prime example of this because online booking to me, I'm a millennial, almost 40, so I'm close to that tip top edge, but I was just reading Thank a you. study last week, and, or not last week, probably last month, um, mm -hmm. and it talked about millennials want to book online because they're working moms, they're busy, or we're in and out of our careers, we don't have time to call, practice, and wait on hold, and will you call me back, and explain the procedures, and so if you want to reach the audience who's in that 25 to 45 range, mm -hmm. you got to have online booking, and so a lot of people who are vehemently opposed when we interview them, you know, about becoming a, a potential customer. Like we hate online booking. We have to call the practice. They don't know what they're booking for. But when they call, they don't either. So it's the same, it's yeah. the same problem. It's just now we've taken an automation point to it where we can send them out confirmations and text messages and mm -hmm. they can do it at four o'clock mm -hmm. in the morning if they want to. And it takes a load off the front desk. And so online booking is another one place to find people who push back and they dig their heels in the sand. They're like, we are never going to do it. But then they wow. put that little link on their website, the little book now button. They're like, oh, my God, why didn't I do this two years ago? Two years ago. It's, like, it's like when you get toxin for the first time. I'm so scared of needles. And you're like, yeah. oh, and it's done. I wasted five years looking haggard, and that took two seconds. Wow, yeah, Online exactly. booking and getting toxin are the same thing. You just got to take the plunge and do it. Yeah, and I, and I find that really interesting because I know I've talked to, you know, um, in the past couple of weeks, like different plastic surgeons and, you know, med spot owners and, I've been kind of guiding into the consultation process and it's like, you know, no business owner that's a MESPA owner should be scared of someone booking without understanding what to do because if they're a new client or a new patient, it should be a consultation. And there's a chance to educate. If they book yes. the wrong thing, what a great opening as a sales rep, you know, back in the day, I would love if you got it wrong because that reason to go in and tell you how mm -hmm. you could, you know, what you could do differently or different products. Like it's a exactly. reason to have a conversation. It's a decision point for the patient. Yeah. And if they book filler and they need toxin, great. Let's explain why they need both things. So exactly. if you that issue or that mistake, other than the time domain it takes for you to do a procedure, mm -hmm. is a welcome, you know, invitation for the practitioner to go educate them on what they should be getting, not what they actually booked for instead. So I agree with you totally. It's a great chance to connect. Yeah, and then you know, I, I do have to ask your uh, opinion on that as a as a professional in tech and everything. Do you think that it's? I don't know if the word is wise. I don't. I don't know what the word is. But do do you think it's good for patients to be able to self book what procedures that they're getting? Oh, oh, do you know what I mean? Like, do you do you think it's wise for that to be an option in the first place? Well, I think the good news is booking is not permanent. They can book mm -hmm. for going to the moon. They can book for whatever they want to book for. When mm -hmm. they come into practice, the provider's role, their ability to show themselves as the expert is to say, dear patient, I love that you book for cold sculpting. What you really need is quo for your cellulite, you know, or whatever mm -hmm. the, the product is. Yes. I think that for the provider to be able to show their expertise right now in the industry today, when patients come in and say, I need 20 units, what she always does. Oh, no, don't go here. I heard that that's a dangerous area. For the provider to have a reason to say, 
oh dear sweet patient you think you're right but unfortunately i went to medical school i went to nursing school i'm the expert here we're going to yeah. do it my way i think that's a great chance for the practice to show its thought leadership you know it's mm -hmm. dominance in the industry yeah. be able to make those decisions for the patient so for me i don't find a risk in it other than a patient who has done preparation they've mm -hmm. you know if it's laser they've gone out in the sun they've you know they've been sunbathing all summer and they're coming in to get a laser it's not a smart choice in that mm -hmm. regard a pre-instruction issue I agree that the patient should be contacted and say, mm, let's make sure it's the right thing for you. But otherwise, mm -hmm. I'm like, honey, roll the dice. If it's a 30-minute appointment, I can do a lot of things in 30 minutes. It'll be okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and that's very true. So, and so as a, you know, in the, the role that you're in as a chief growth officer, you know, I kind of just want to dig in a little bit more because it, it, it's really great to see that the company is doing well and you guys are killing it and everything. You know, however, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had while, you know, building the trajectory of aesthetic record? And yeah, what, and what are some of the differences you see between then and now? The problems that we have are the problems that every business has, except for in technology, it multiplies itself. It's like rise of the machines. When you build software, you need to build for 10 years from now. You need to build for, you know, Facebook. When Mark Zuckerberg built it, you should build for when it takes off, for what it looks like in 2021. Mm -hmm. So when we built our software many, many years ago in 2016, it was built for a much smaller platform, a much smaller customer base, a much more limited set of features because it was just doing the bare necessities for a med spa. Well, the industry is evolving rapidly. And so we have mm -hmm. occurred what's called or incurred technical debt, which means basically we built for things that we could not accommodate at our current scale and scope had we not made significant infrastructure changes. Mm -hmm. So for the last year, I've been working on the entire rebuilding of our app on the back end to accommodate. We have almost 2 million patients in our system. We have wow. again 3,000 clinics using it. We have 25,000 plus data points and features. Mm -hmm. There's a tremendous load, like a massive load on our servers every day. And so my recommendation for anyone building a business on day one is build for your future self. Because if you don't, in the moment when things are going crazy and you're growing and it's exciting and so fun, it's like, time out. We've got to rebuild the infrastructure here. And mm -hmm. you lose momentum on that. You lose the, you know, the beautiful part of growing because you've got to stop and clean up your mess. And so yeah. we're fortunate to have three tech teams who work around the clock. They work all night long. They work all day to help us make up this debt and clean it up. But it's growing pains with anything. When you scale mm -hmm. so quickly, you have to catch up to what you thought you were building in the beginning and actually get mm -hmm. it right. That's been the biggest challenge. The other part I would say, and you're finding this out as you get in the industry more and more, is when you become the face of a company in many ways, people want to deal with you. And this is a single <laughs> provider whose names are on the door. You've heard me talk about this. When your name is yeah. on the door, it's not healthy. Yeah. I am not a person who self-promotes much. Mm -hmm. um, it's not my thing. I'm a, a big behind the scenes mover and pusher and shaker and doer. And so as I've gone into this role, I've become much more of the face of aesthetic record, which means people want to talk to me. They want to DM me their problems about the system. They want to call me on the phone, text me, email me for mm -hmm. help right now. And I'm not the tech support team. I'm not going to be as responsive. I have other things happening. We have podcasts and conferences and videos and, you know, a giant company of, of things to run and manufacturers to deal with. And so yeah. they want my full attention right now, which is great because they feel like we're family, right? That we're close and we're connected. And I love that part of the industry because we're all one big happy community, as Josh would say. Yeah. But unfortunately for me, it's also disadvantageous because it, it hurts the customer long term because they don't get the help mm -hmm. immediately. And so trying to extract myself from AR and make us two different things and mm -hmm. get the team really involved and promote other people to be the face of things and on camera. Vivian's a great example, our, our vendor relations manager. Yeah, she's on the team. She's incredible. You know, trying to share the share the load, share the excitement because it can't always be on you as the face. And again, mm -hmm. you can't sell the company that way. You can't grow the company that way. It cannot be about you ever. It has to be about the overall company. Mm -hmm. So I think if you grow quickly and if you're well known in some regard, I'm nothing like you guys. I'm not an influencer by any means, but people you know know my name. It becomes mm -hmm. a hazard to your business. It's actually a it's a discredit and a disruption for your business. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you talk about that. Um, because I, 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 I've read things, I guess they call it bottlenecking, you know, it become like the bottleneck of the business. And, 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 and that's, and this is something that I'm learning too with myself. It's like, you know, having a team, it's just like, okay, you might interact with me in some, some instance or what have you, but it's like for certain things, this is who takes care of it for other things. This is who takes care of it. And like getting clients used to seeing other people 
very early on. So it's not like, okay, we have to talk to you and only you every time. So when you look at your phone, you have, you know, a thousand text messages. <laughs> every day, my voicemail is full every single day. And I've gotten where I don't answer my phone much because that one phone call will disrupt the whole day and it throws people into a crisis and a tailspin. And the good news is I have an incredible team who they crush it every single day. They mm-hmm. rock at their jobs. Like when it comes to talent, I have somehow assembled like the Avengers over here. We've got like Black Widow, we've got Spider-Man, like it's an incredible team. So I know that whoever I hand it off to, it'll be taken care of beautifully. And I think that's a big part. You have to know that when you come to that point and you are the bottleneck, to be able to delegate to capable, competent, invested humans is the one thing that you, you have to have that or you'll never be able to get past that. You will always be the bottleneck for your company. You'll never grow out of it. Exactly. And, you know, it kind of goes back to what you talked about before. And you were saying, you know, you have to build your business for what it's going to be 10 years from now, you know, and I I even think about that with many med spot owners when they're starting, everyone has access to them on their cell phone, everyone has access to them in the DMs, and then they grow and they start to get busier and then you know, they can't even take a vacation because clients start to get hangry. Like, oh, who are, like, you're not going to be the one to do my injections. You're, 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 you're giving me Sally or Jenny or whoever. I, I don't know her. And, and that's a, that's a scary thing. Well, that's why I'm so big on SOPs. You know, I'm sure you've heard me say this. I'm like obsessed with them. We have, I just had a med spa owner in a few days ago in our office here. And she talked about, you know, they all want to see me. But I've trained every provider the exact way that I do it. Our company name is on the technique, not my name, not anyone, no, mm-hmm. you know, not Sally's name or Janie's name. The company name is on the technique. Mm-hmm. So when they call and they're mad that I can't be there, I can say, but I've trained Sally. You've seen her with me. When, when you were here last time, remember she was in the room with us looking at your lips as well. Mm-hmm. She's taking care of you from now on. She's a phenomenal injector. I think there's a place where you have to start to hand the baton over, but it takes very strategic thought. I'm a big believer in when you've got that core group of patients who only see you, bring that provider in the room with you. Let them meet each other. Let them hear about the experience. And, and you know, they're a VIP. Oh, Sally, she's a VIP. We love her so much. Here, you know, whatever that is. Because then it feels like you're doing a white glove handoff. And it's not like, I'm too busy for you, sis. See somebody else. <laughs> busy for you, Everything yeah. is semantics. We're always selling. Yeah. You know, what do they say? ABC always be selling. We're always yeah. persuading. We're always trying to change, you know, the motion, the narrative. So I think you've got to do things like that. Even in, in our role here, in your role, in your office, we have to do those things or people will always want, because it's, I'd want it too, to deal with the person who they think can make the right decision or the, or the biggest, most important decision for them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, that white glove handoff, guys, you heard that. So Dr. Tiffany just said, if you're at the point where you need to expand, you need to take time for yourself, you know, the white glove handoff is the way to go. <laughs> having the provider in the room with you, not just a random person showing up one day and saying, we're doing the procedure, not you. Yeah, because if not, you can't get on a plane and travel to your new locations. You can't go meet with the private equity investor. You can't meet with your attorney or your banker or your risk management people. You're going to be stuck in that practice 24-7 to the day you die if you don't think about that. And, you know, I see it. My dad on companies. His name is all over the company. He can't retire ever because the company will die. I mean, I'm, I live this firsthand. This is not like I'm looking at people judging them. I live this life every day as a kid, still mm-hmm. do. He's 66 years old and cannot retire because his entire life is wrapped up in a company that has his face on it and his name on it. And mm. there's no getting out of that, guys. Trust me, none. When you're 66, you want to work that hard? Probably not. So mm. you've got to think about it today because you, you'll be trapped in it forever if you don't. Yeah, and even, in, even um, you know, you, you talk about the age 66, even from a dexterity standpoint, you know, we, as we, you know, I, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I'm an organist and a violinist as, as well. Like super girl, the randomness abound. <laughs> That's another thing Josh fan- and I went to music school. <laughs> Those are fancy. Those are like um, Ivy League, you know, prestigious. I drive a Bentley instrument. <laughs> No. not for the faint of heart my friend no. you, musical genius is a sign of real genius you know that right it's <laughs> if you're all the genius people in the world have musical inclination i have none just so you know guys i have zero musical ability but what you're like a genius in tech so stop it's not the instrument in itself it's a language in itself but the hands the hands like we can't you know i i, I 
you know, after not using them to do all of these scales and things like I used to do, it's like my, my fingers aren't the same. And it's like repetitive motions, you know, that's, that's something to think about. Like, do you really want to be the name on the door at 66 years old? Pushing a syringe every day, that poor thumb of yours, carpal tunnel. That is real. I used to go into offices all the time and see people who were fresh off the surgery because they had been injecting for, you know, 15, 20 years. Like, my thumbs finally gave out. Mm. Hands are tired. And I don't want, you know, these people, as you, you and I both know, they work like dogs. They work so hard. They've built great businesses. They're successful. They're building enterprises. Mm-hmm. And it's these small things that can just have these colossal catastrophic impacts that you don't see because you're, again, so busy building. And it, it sneaks up on you. I think risk is the same way. It sneaks up on you. And, and you don't know you need it until you have to have it until you're desperate for it. So exactly. scale, SOPs, technology, automate your process, clone yourself through other people and through their mm-hmm. expertise and their techniques and teach them how to be like you. That's my best yeah. advice. Yeah, definitely. And if you could give the, the audience an insight, you know, how can a, a newer business owner or even one that has been kind of like fumbling along, they're still, they're doing well, but they're, they know if one piece is removed, they, it will everything will crash and they're trying to kind of recalibrate things. How would you say to start implementing you know processes and systems i think you call it sop or whatever it, um if you want to define that for the audience too but how do, how do you, how do they even start getting on the pathway if they are just starting or they're kind of messed up and like okay i have to make a change well so a standard operating process in my opinion is just the way that you do it every time so if you're a single injector you often think well i'm the only person doing it <laughs> why do i need an sop I think you're maybe the most get, the most at risk because if you're like me, you get busy, you do it a different way every time. Where did I put that thing? Where did I put that inventory? Where's that box again? And you are your own worst enemy. And so I think things that you do repetitively more than a few times or that more than one person is doing repetitively, build a process. We do a lot of flow charts here. And when I click this, this will happen. Who's accountable to it? Who will check off on it You know, when it comes in the door? Just knowing who the players are and not by name, but by role, because the people can change, the roles will not. So don't get caught up in that madness. I think when you define the process as a new injector or a new med spa owner, that's step one. And the place I would tell you that's the most at risk is inventory. If Mm. people say to me, what's the one thing I'm going to do to fix my practice today is count your inventory, track your inventory. Traceability Mm -hmm. is a patient safety concern. It is a mm-hmm. COGS, cost of goods sold concern. It's a balance sheet concern. It's an asset shrinkage, spoilage concern. Inventory is the most expensive thing in your practice. And if mm-hmm. you're not watching your inventory like you're watching your social media, start doing it. Impressions don't pay the bills. But inventory on the shelf can because it can be injected into a patient and can pay great dividends long term. Mm-hmm. So I think my first top tool is always inventory. And then understand charting. If you're a med spa owner who's thinking about even growing to the second provider, you know, you're a mm-hmm. single going to two, being able to see each other's charts, look at each other's training protocols, treatment protocols, inventory usage, having a medical director sign off on things from far away if he or she's not in the office that day. Mm-hmm. I think the charting, we lose sight of the medical part of our jobs at times because we just assume it's, it's going to be done, right? At the base mm-hmm. level, we're good providers. We're good medical people. But the charting aspect ties back to inventory what you're going to charge them on the invoice, mm-hmm. what product they actually had in case of an adverse event or a problem occurred. Is it hyaluronidase? Was it radius? Is it dermal filler? What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Your entire practice reaction to an adverse event is based on what was injected in the patient. And they never know. We know that. The patients never have a clue what they've received. They just know it was yeah. in a syringe. It was in a syringe <laughs> and she loves the product, whatever it was. Well, she loves them all because she's selling them to you. Yeah. But we never know what it really is. And so I think inventory and charting are the places where the wheels many times fall off because they get overlooked as just like the bare necessity, but they are the things that will sink your ship faster than anything else. Wow. And so at, at what point should, you know, in, in your professional opinion, should um, a provider, you know, go about getting an EMR? Should it be from day one when they open or maybe when they, or maybe when they like, Oh, I'm actually going to be in business. Like, at what point do you think it's the best time to go ahead and, and invest in that type of system? Six months before the doors open. Mm. Or three months at minimum, because before you see your first patient, you need to understand your services. What do you want to offer? What do you want to charge? How much time do you need? Mm-hmm. It, it forces you to plan your business. It forces you to get a business plan that is methodical and well thought out. Because if you have to start putting into your EMR, 
your invoice disclaimer, your refund policy, how you'll treat patients who don't show up for cancellations, how you'll think about patient retention and sending out emails and newsletters, all the things that you forget to do in the beginning that will mm-hmm. force you to at least have a base level plan mm-hmm. so that when you start on day one, you're buttoned up. No one wants yes. to buy a product that's not buttoned up, right? No one wants to go yeah. into a doctor's office and like, well, I don't know if we do that here or not. Let me ask somebody else. Like, <laughs> that's not a good sign, guys. So I think the we always say at least 90 days before you open your business, start mm-hmm. building your EMR. Start yeah. building the practice management part of it because you need all that really think about what should you put on the shelf if you're not going to do a lot of talks and don't go out and buy every product if you don't have time for a laser don't go buy a laser device mm-hmm. think about your business as far as your niche how you want to grow where you want to grow what what role you're going to play and you can build around that very quickly frankly in the emr mm-hmm. i think the other part of it leslie for us at least in ar shameless plug is it's 16 bucks a month you get all these things telehealth online booking inventory you know uh, integrations with your crm all these things for 16 dollars I pay more for that for my font app to be able to do courses on Instagram. Like I pay more per month for the e-font app. You could pay for all of that with AR. And so people who would say historically price is an issue, that's why we've always been low priced. We've always been a low cost provider because we wanted to make sure that nobody could ever say, I have to sacrifice being good at my job, being a very mm-hmm. business person, being a great provider because I can't afford an EMR. We don't, I don't yes. want that to ever be an issue. And so we took the, not altruistic, we are certainly for profit organization, but our goal is to make every provider legally and compliantly responsible because of their system. You know, being able to say in a court of law, I take great charting documents, you know, notes, paperwork, et cetera. And it's not going to cost them a fortune or have a mortgage their house to pay for their EMR system. And so for me, before you ever get started, if you want to be disciplined, it will force you to be disciplined from day one. And, and that And that's really great. And, you know, so it's so customizable, everything. So tell us, tell us more about how you, how you guys like, you know, build out the systems and some capabilities for, you know, larger practices, you know, that might have, you know, huge different providers and lots of different products and services. And tell us more about, you know, kind of an enterprise look for someone who's thinking, okay, I'm starting with a smaller type thing now. But in the future, I know that I'm going to be building up my chassis. We've actually begun to, begun to specialize in that in the past two years. We have clinics that have 85 locations or 60 locations. We have what's called an EMP, an enterprise management portal. And so mm-hmm. if you're a franchise who's not related at all, like you own one, I own one, Joe owns one, not the same patients, nothing. But we have the same name on the door, the same types of things. We, we build those sort of overall portals for you so that one owner can go in and look at his or her spas only. Mm-hmm. Corporate can look at all the different spas and all the different activities. If they're sharing providers back and forth, they can go back and forth across different locations. Mm-hmm. But the patients are always separate. The books are separate. The numbers are separate. Everything is separate. Yeah. And what we're finding more and more as the, in, as the industry grows is we have MSOs now who have oh, yeah. that are not related at all. We have franchises. We have chains. We have multiple location single spas that are growing. Mm-hmm. So we've really built out a way for you to do either one owner with 10 locations that are all related mm-hmm. or 10 owners with one corporation at the top. So yeah. we've really tried to grow and scale the way that we treat customers based on the way that their business is changing. Yes. I think the big part of that is a medical director component. So many of these cases, an MSO has one medical director across 10 locations. Mm-hmm. He or she can log in at any point in the day and sign charts, do good faith exams, do virtual consults. And it's very easy, one click. It's not a lot of learning passwords and learning logins and different portals and things. It's a very Mm -hmm. simple one-stop shop. So the bigger businesses looking at inventory trends across locations, NPS scores, you know, the, am I happy? Am I sad? Do I like it here? Those kinds of numbers, doing comparative trends and things. We do a lot with that. We're able to clone the accounts too. So if you have a really good clinic that you think is the model citizen, you can Mm -hmm. just clone that, that setup over and over and over again. So that it's always the exact same at location A. Um, and it's location B without having to go set it up again. But our team takes care of all the setup if they want to do that, right. all the training. We'll put in your consents for you. We'll give you consulting advice on well, this name of the service doesn't make any sense. It's too long or this is kind of crazy or what the heck were you thinking? Yes. But with memberships especially, that's really helpful too because they can go to multiple locations and use their membership credits or their free services. Mm-hmm. But we've really baked in a recurring revenue model too for the bigger groups, You know, the bigger mm-hmm. locations, bigger you know, three, four, five location med spas. That recurring revenue is their cash flow cycle. Of As course. the bills come due, the monthly membership revenue hits so they can always get the bills paid. And there's always a yes. cushion there. They know if not one more butt sits in the chair all month long, 
I can at least make this much money in cash flow to pay, you know, to pay the bills on day one. So we've mm -hmm. really thought about from a business owner standpoint, what makes you succeed beyond being a great injector or a great you know, medical facility? What's the business mm -hmm. part of it you have to have to be successful? But whether you're, you know, nurse Sally with one location or nurse Sally with 15 locations, we've got what you need. At least we hope we do. We think we do. We've got <laughs> we're helping you get it done. You're that guy. Dr. Tiffany has what you need. Okay. <laughs> we've got what you need, baby. We can write a song about that. Right, and they can you can play an instrument. I'll do the singing and the lyrics. will be a exactly. Yeah. Get my violin out the corner. No, not let me not do this nonsense now. Um, but, so, and, and so that that's so great because you know, as a as a business owner, like you said, as they build over time, as they as they get larger, they have those things to look forward to. That like, okay, this was the great spot. Now we're open spot number two, spot number three. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's just like your team is plug and play. Boop 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 and they're ready to go. I think, and that's just great. And I also, what I have heard about you guys um, is is that you guys do a lot of consulting beyond uh, even you know just the EMR, and you're really helping answer like you know business questions. Um, and is that is that just something that's like built in with the people that service the accounts or? Like, how does that work? I don't think it's a good answer. Well, it's it works that way because we can't stand to let people make bad choices if we can help yeah. them. You know, I, I can't stand to watch a train wreck happen if we can help pump the brakes. And so yeah. most of it is really altruism. You know, to use that word again, is like we don't charge for a lot of it. It's just our team saying, I've done this before with accounts mm -hmm. and I've seen the catastrophe that it will cause. Let me show you mm -hmm. how to not do that, how to not That's make something like again. So much of it is taking what we've learned over, you know, the setup of thousands of accounts to say, when you do your membership this way, make it so confusing and you got to have points and this and that patients are going to be so confused by this and you're never going to be able to execute it. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. make it simple. It's more of just the, the whiplash that we've received from all the wrecks that we've been part of <laughs> the things that have been a little kooky. So it's more of that, but we also do account manager plans. So if you want consulting advice, you know, on a regular increment, looking at your trend analysis, but as I mentioned, you can tell so much from the system. I can look and see memberships are going up or down. You're giving too many discounts. Like for instance, that account this past week, they're giving 55% in discounts and they want to know why they're not making any money. Well, you're giving away half of your profit to a discount. That's why you're not wow. making money. But they don't often look at all the different KPIs or the key performance you know, indicators to say, this is breaking down and where is it happening? Because we're so quick in the system, we can find those reports really easily to say, I've put these three, you know, these three reports together and I've overlaid them and I can tell you your gap is right here. This provider mm -hmm. is giving away the house. She's giving away friends and family discounts every day. She's giving away all of your Botox for no cost. She's doing mm -hmm. special discounts. We can see a lot of that just by, again, the simple aggregation of data because of the fact it's all in a technology platform. Yeah. So we do a lot of it just because we want customers to be successful. You know, if they're successful, they stay. They refer other people to our business. Their mm -hmm. success is our success. So we can't take the risk of them suffering if we could, you know, play a part in solving the mystery for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and there's also just something that I wanted to, you know, ask you about, too. Um, there's a, a quote that I read, and it said, you know, it is what we know already that often prevents us from learning. Um, and that's like Claude Bernard. And I, I just wanted to get your take on that, because I know that people sometimes have, you know, especially these nurses that, or, you know, um, that come from the hospital setting, or they, they have a certain preconceived notion as to what owning a med spa is and what goes into it. So... How do you think that quote kind of relates to the industry as a whole based on your experience? Well, I think it's it's really twofold. On one hand, I would say when they come from the hospital, as far as like on my end of the business, they're pleasantly surprised at how easy things are. They love it. Like, oh my gosh, this is not a legacy system from 1995. This is actually like modern day technology. There's an iPad app. Are you crazy? So we find that they're much more eager to invest in our technology part of it. The part that we see break down is that people get very stuck in their process within, within the practice. I want to check them in like this. I want to do this with them and this with them. And it's like, I get that you want to do all that, but nothing in your business supports that action. You've got mm -hmm. to change the process. You can't be the same person that's doing you know, the pie making and owning the pie shop. If you want to keep growing your business, you need to change the workflow. And so we spend a lot of time explaining to people who love to fight with us about it because we're not the provider. And I get that. But that you know, a simple workflow, you don't need to be a medical professional to understand workflow. If a patient yeah. has to go crisscross zigzag to get things done, they're, they're worn out with your practice. 
So unlearning those behaviors I have found to be the most challenging part of a med spa ownership is like unlearning how they've always done it to say, you cannot scale how you've done it. You cannot Mm -hmm. scale your process because it's not going to work with 15 people in the practice. You don't have enough rooms, enough beds, enough supplies. You just don't have it. I think that's the part of it that we get in our own mind. That's our way is the best way. I Mm -hmm. do it all the time as well. I'm forever guilty for that. And we have a hard time unlearning. I think that's a big part too, is you think about learning technology, learning a skill set, learning CMEs to go Mm -hmm. to a conference and learn how to inject in a new way. We get so excited about that. Like that seems so fun to learn a new indication and get so behind contour or flow or whatever, M-sculpt, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. When it comes to things like how do you run your business? Again, our heels dig in the sand and we plant a flag somewhere that's like, we ain't doing it. And so I think that there's like a disconnect between the things that aren't so sexy. People don't like to unlearn. They want to figure it out. But we fight it every day and, you know, we make, we make breakthroughs. We eventually Mm -hmm. say, just try it one day and see if you like it. And they're like, oh my gosh, we saved yeah. seven minutes per patient yesterday. It's like, yeah, we told you. <laughs> you just wow. listen to it. But we, we're stuck in our ways. We all are. Learning agility mm-hmm. is hard. As we get older, it becomes even more challenging to learn and grow all the things at once. And so mm-hmm. you cling to what you know. And when you get nervous or scared, you go back to what you know. Even if you fixed your problem, when things start to seem a little dicey, inherently as humans, we go back to what we feel safe doing. That's the thing that we've done yeah. for 25 years, not the thing that we're doing for 25 months. So we, our brains wire back to safety, back to, you know, where we feel like we can survive. So I think we've mm-hmm. got to reprogram our neurons to invest in a new method. And if it works, even when it sucks, Leslie, even yeah. when it hurts and you're like, this is awful, but yeah. I cannot give up. I have to keep pushing through. That's when the magic happens. That uncomfortable, you know, the uncomfortable spot where the world is ending. That's when you grow and you change, you yeah. develop and you get better. So you've got to be willing to unlearn and to take a look at what you're doing right now and say, like I'm doing, are you the bottleneck? And if the answer is yes, change it. That's the only yeah. the only path forward. Yeah. Wow. I'm like I, and I, really I'm sorry, guys. I, I mean, you know, I'm here for it. Like, you know, I'm a PK. Oh, <laughs> communion when this is over. I'm just kidding. Exactly. Someone's gonna be like Leslie. This was a very um masculine this laugh and this laugh is gonna be um. Sorry, but so, you know, with, with that, you know, I, if you want to get personal for a second, you know, and I know we're kind of wrapping down here. I do, I do want to ask you about that. You know, the, the discomfort, you know, and you know, you said that the discomfort is when you really grow, when you push through that discomfort. So like, can you relate to us like a personal story of something that was so excruciatingly uncomfortable and you were like, what the heck am I doing? And then you push through and you're like, wow. My entire life from birth? No. I, <laughs> I was telling um, another person this on the podcast recently, like I live in the pain. I live for the pain. I'm a survivalist. So for me, I don't have a choice but to constantly grow and evolve especially mm-hmm. in technology, you know, growing and learning a business that you, that you weren't previously, you know, in a skill set level to run and you have to mm-hmm. figure it out. I've always been very good at being uncomfortable. Yeah. I mentioned my dad owned companies from the time I was a little bitty. I had to just figure it out. You know, kids got to go do fun things and vacation and have a great you know, childhood. We were working, we were busy. We were trying to keep the business going. And so I've always just known that no matter what it takes, you do it. No matter how much it hurts, how much it sucks. If you don't put in the work today, when everyone else is out having fun and enjoying it, there will come a time when that's over for them. And then it's your turn to do it. You get to be the ones to do it because you put the work in early. And I mention all the time to people that, you know, a residency is your, if you're a doctor or a fellowship, you make no money, you work your butt off, you're operating 24 hours a day if you're a surgeon, but you know that if you can survive that miserable few years, you get to do what you love forever in your own practice under your own guise, under your own rules, you get to make your own money. But that small investment of pain and of torture will help propel your career tenfold because those who didn't do it will never go as far as you because they're not willing to put in the work to do it. So I just feel like there's a moment where I've taken pay cuts. I took a $100,000 pay cut at one point, Mm -hmm. um, a significant pay cut, take a job because I wanted to learn the skill that was in that job that I couldn't learn anywhere else. I've taken Mm -hmm. jobs that were random, that I was beaten up every day emotionally, physically, just over it. But Mm -hmm. I had to learn the skill, and I knew that if I didn't do it there, I would never learn it. I would never have the chance again to learn it. And so I think in your life, there are days where never get to never think that you're above that. You know, I've got to make this certain amount of money. I need my honorarium. I need my this, my that. 
because at some point somebody else will take the pain they'll take the punishment for you and then you'll look up and they'll leap ahead of you because they've done whatever it takes to get there so from a personal level i've always been very comfortable there if i am not in a state of survival i'm panicked that i'm doing something wrong and i'm complacent i need wow. to feel like there's constant chaos around me or panic around me or you know just sheer i don't know really just sheer chaos because mm -hmm. if not i don't feel like i'm in a place where i can make an impact so I prefer it to be. I'm a wartime CEO. I'm not a peacetime CEO. I can tell you that <laughs> without a doubt. If a company is humming and beautiful and smooth, I'm not the girl you call. When things are in the fiery zones of death, I'm the person that will walk in and be like, hey, this looks like a cluster. I'm here to help. <laughs> That's more how I like to operate. Wow. I, I, I really, really do love that. That I, thanks for sharing that experience. Like, you know, how you think about things, you know, because that, that's so true, you know, cause you know, even when you do get to that Zenith or I can't pronounce it, Zenith, Zenith, whatever you get to that top point, you know, you have to keep working and you have to, you have to go back. And I know Tim Grover says this in winning and I talked about this another time, but it's like, you know, once you win something, you have to go back to square one and go back to the bottom of the hill and look up again and say, okay, it's time to climb again. Because if you don't do that, you just stay on the peak looking like, oh, I, I won, I did something good. You know, you're going to die up there and the crows are going to come and start snatching you up. Well, she uses sports metaphor, which I don't usually do, but look at Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. At the pinnacle of his basketball career, he went to play baseball. Like, <laughs> He went to play baseball. He's the most famous, most skilled, gifted basketball player in the history of mankind, by the way, Kobe. And, you know, anyway, I won't go on that. MJ, he's our boy. But yeah. He went back to play baseball for a new challenge, for a new, a new pain level, a new, you know, learning to survive. So if MJ can do it, so can you. No one's too good. But I think mm -hmm. to your point, as you go up in your career and you get more and more esteemed in your level, money means less because you have enough at some point mm -hmm. money is a diminishing return on satisfaction you, oh yeah you can't keep paying people to be happy it doesn't work that way we see it with sales reps in the industry all the time they're making god knows what and they're miserable because they're they're dying on the vine working so mm. at some point it has to be about more than money which i think is like the challenge the mystery of it unlocking new skills pushing mm -hmm. yourself like i derive so much joy from that yeah. far more than i do my paycheck i never even look at the yeah. paycheck that hits the bank i have no idea what i make right now couldn't even tell you don't have a clue, but I know yeah. what I've learned this month. I know what I've done to grow as an employee and as an employer. Mm -hmm. Like those are the things that are important to me. And I know if I do that enough, the money will come. That'll figure itself out. If you're good at your yeah. job, people will pay for your skill set. I promise you of they course. will. Yeah. So whatever's important to you as a person. And for me, it's like the mystery, like solving weird challenges and mysteries is really fun for me. That's awesome. And and so, uh, Dr. Stephanie, if you, if you could leave us um, with, these last, with this last question as, um, you know, what advice would you give to um, a person who wants to get into this industry to, you know, start their own medical aesthetics practice? Well, I heard Nikki Riviera say this the other day, and she talked about when I got into this industry, I went and invested my time to learn. I didn't wait for people to come find me and teach me. I went and found it and learned it. And I think that's the key to it. You've got to be aggressive here. You've got to go out and seek your own opportunities, pay for your training, pay for a business class, pay for Leslie's insight, pay to have a great attorney or a great accountant or CPA. Anything in life requires you to invest. When you go to college, you invest. And so I think as you come into this industry, people seem to think that we are like a boutique thing, that we're like a funsy, you know, moonlighting industry. We're a very big part of medicine. We have a tremendous impact on people's lives, on their psychological well-being, on their physical well-being, and approaches like you would approach anything else. Invest in your training, in your business, spend the time to learn, and treat it as if it's a real thing. And so I think waiting for things to come to you in our industry right now, as fast as it's moving, as talented as these owners are now, and these executives are now, you've got a carpe diem, and that means digging in, finding you know what turns you on, and going to get that for yourself. And as you yeah. open your business, think about that. Do what you love to do and don't do everything for everyone. Don't yes. be the, the one-stop shop. Be great at whatever it is that turns you on, you know, turns you on, builds fire in your belly, and go yes. be amazing at that thing. And once you hit the, you know, the part of that that you feel like you're in stride, maybe then take on something else. But I think people try to do a shotgun approach most often in our industry. Like, I'm gonna buy everything and do everything. And it really detracts from again, like learning where do you want to go train, where do you want to invest your money? Because if you do that in your practice, you'll be more successful than doing a little bit of stuff for a whole lot of people. So I'm a big, big believer in, you know, know what, know your role and, and dig deep and learn. And that's, for me, that's the best advice I could possibly give. 
And that's excellent advice. I was talking to um, a plastic surgeon last night, and we were talking about this because he's also like a pianist and very, you know, interesting. And it's just like, and he specializes in his practice. It's like going deep in something is is so much more. It, it, it's just the process of going deep is is so much better than going wide. Like everybody wants their time and go wide. Going Think about marketing alone. If you can market Oof. five procedures and not 55 procedures, how much better you can do an SEO, pay-per-click, the words that you're going to use, the oh, website, yeah. the way that you look at your entire business, you know, the voice, everything can be so much more specific. Mm-hmm. And your demographic, your patient can all be very specific. If yes. you know who you are and what you believe in, it mm-hmm. will take the workload off of you in such a giant way. And again, you can't sell yourself. You can't sell your time or your expertise. Mm-hmm. So find a way to do what you love to do in a meaningful but yet methodical way. And I think it will pay dividends for you as a practice. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Tiffany, for your time today. And please tell our listeners how they can find Aesthetic Record on the internet. Yeah, go to aestheticrecord.com or you can do at Aesthetic Record. You can find me at at Dr. Tiffany Hall. I'd love to follow and, and love to see you guys. Send me a DM and you know, I'd love to connect with any of you. So thanks for having me on today, Leslie. I've, I've had a great time talking with you as I always do. Lots of fun <laughs> as always. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon, guys. Bye. Like what you heard? Please leave us a review. I appreciate you listening and your support. Follow us on Instagram at Plan Life Happens and comment on this episode's post. Also, I appreciate your feedback and ideas. Improving is the name of the game. I'm Leslie Tracy, your host. Thanks for listening.